With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to episode 180 of Cowboys Rocket Free, the podcast. My name is Joel Penfield, as always, joined by Philip Slavin. How are you doing tonight, man? You know, having two kids under two puts a lot of things into perspective. Uh, like, I don't ha- get to just, like, sit around all day and stew, so I have to immediately go and entertain a 19-month-old, which is weirdly, like, helpful. So I'm feeling all right. Uh, I got a couple of beers in me. I'm not hammered, which is another thing you can't do when you're uh, solo parenting a 19-month-old during the the Saturday, you can't just you know get drunk while you're upset while you go football, which is probably the best thing for me. So I'm good. I'm good. Uh, speaking of kiddos, uh, so you, you, uh, we're just prepared that at any point during this, you might have to be like, ah, shit, and bail, and then I'll just have to wrap it up on my own. Uh, that's pretty much where we're at. My wife and I are actually in uh, Oklahoma City. Uh, we live in Stillwater. We're in Oklahoma City, where uh, we're going to have our baby here anytime now uh we really don't know my wife's walking around the living room at our at her cousin's house right now where we're staying uh just you know trying to get this baby the heck out of her is pretty much where we're at at this point so uh yeah in the middle of this podcast i may have to go hey i gotta go and just peace the hell out so we'll uh we'll see what happens but let's let's hope that i can get some of my hot takes in here before i have to do that all right so where do we uh i mean oklahoma state um Want to know on the season, not how we thought it would go, not, no, not how we would have liked it to have gone, but OSU is 1-0. and um, So let's take that for what it is. There are other Big 12 teams, uh, Iowa State, Kansas State, who can't say that. Right. Uh, even some teams, TCU, Baylor, who haven't had a shot to. So while it's not what, how we wanted it to be, and it has left us with plenty to talk about, which, you know, praise the football gods, they are 1-0. and yeah, and at the end of the day, I think that's what we need to take away from this is that it was an ugly, disgusting, awful game for 60 minutes, They're, at least on the offensive side. So, But at the end of the day, Oklahoma State still found a way to pull out a game that in most years when it's ugly like that, they don't win those games, at least in recent years. And to be able to find a way to do that today, first game of the year, no spring ball, a weird preseason, not a lot of scrimmage time, and still find a way to win an ugly game like that, I'm, I still come away fairly impressed. It, it obviously was not the way that we saw it going. Uh, needed to go down to a true freshman QB3 uh, on your depth chart and you know, not being able to get the run game going the way we really thought it was going to. You know, Pretty much everything just for two and a half, almost three quarters – Nothing went Oklahoma State's way on the offensive side of the ball, but to still find a way to win is a big deal for this team. Yeah, no, it was. Um, look, I go back and forth on did Oklahoma State win this game or did Tulsa lose it? Um, I think you can make an argument. You definitely can make an argument for both. Yes. Yeah. 
I think it's yes. Um, I think Oklahoma State did some things that that allowed them to to win. Uh, to say that Oklahoma State didn't win this would take away um, from some incredible plays that happened on Saturday. Um, and I want to give full credit to everyone you know who who contributed on the field. But also, you know, you can't ignore Tulsa with. I think there was a hundred penalties. Did they? Did they have a hundred penalties? It felt like a hundred penalties. Like that's about. They, what, that's about what it felt like. Like you know, you talk about you know shooting yourself in the foot with you know penalties and stupid <laughs> no. mistakes and stuff. This they was took, they took a thirty out six to their entire right leg for the entire game. Like they, this was they, holding a grenade in your hand and letting it go off. Yeah, that that that's very much what it felt like. They it was kind of what happened to Oklahoma State last year where we saw that it was the, one of the most undisciplined teams of the Gundy era, where they, it, was, this is, it was almost like looking in a mirror and seeing that team last year just make critical mistake after critical mistake, and it was all mental stuff. Like when Tulsa had a uh, – they, they had to take a timeout on the third down, and they <laughs> had a delay of, game. delay of game out of a timeout. Like, I, didn't, I didn't think that was – they have some real issues from – look, let's just get away. 15 penalties for 120 yards, um, some real clock management issues, some questionable play calling, especially on the third downs where Tulsa went 0 and 12. 0 for 13. And, it was 0 for 13. <laughs> okay, so credit and credit to Oklahoma State's defense for, for holding them there. Um, but I think you have to state, like, Tulsa, Tulsa had no business being in this game. Oklahoma State all. allowed them to be in this game, and Tulsa uh, continued to make sure that they, they didn't have a real shot at at winning. So let's set all that aside because this is an Oklahoma State pod, not a Tulsa pod. Right. And there's 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 one thing about this game. If you want to come at things from an optimistic standpoint, um, you have plenty to work on, and that's a bad. It's not a great thing, but it is telling you you have a week of tape to go over. You have a game under your belt. You've been able to play um, and start preparing for a West Virginia game that I feel less confident in than I than I did before the season at this point. So let's go and look over the things where we say, okay, what were some positives and what were some negatives? So let's just one at a time and we'll, we'll get into these. Uh, what, what was the, what's, what's the thing? What do you want to start with? Just uh, I'll there's start plenty, with, cause there's plenty to get to. There, there's plenty to get to, but if we're going to talk about more of the positive stuff first, I mean, I, it's hard not to talk about what the defense was able to do today. Like we said, <clears throat> Tulsa, yeah. Their, their play calling was very questionable. It was not very good. But credit to Oklahoma State's defense to get off the field on third down 13 different times and not allow a first down. And there were – I'd have to go back and watch, but at least half of those were third and five and or less. It was a – they did – Tulsa was not having to drop back and throw the ball downfield on third down very often. And Oklahoma State was the defensive line and the linebackers were able to get up and make plays in third and manageable and get off the field. And even when Tulsa decided they, they you know, they risked, they went for the risk a couple times going forward on fourth down. And I think they, they converted one out of five or six. I mean, uh, one of four. One of four. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. But still, I mean, when you're able to allow a team on third and fourth down to go one for 17, that says a lot about what you're able to do. Zach Smith made a couple good throws. He made a really, that, his touchdown pass was fantastic. That was a great ball. But other than that, you saw a lot of really good things from the cornerback position of Christian Holmes or Darius Williams. 
The safeties played really well. Colby Harvey Hill. I thought Trey Sterling was fantastic. He, the way that he was being utilized reminded me a lot of kind of the way the Chiefs used Tyron Matthew. Not trying to compare the players, but he was playing in the box. Sure. He was playing on the edge. He was lining up against tight ends. He was lining up against slot receivers, taking the running back out of the backfield, playing the run, playing the pass incredibly well. And for a guy to be that versatile is huge for this defense moving forward because uh, then you can still play Jason Taylor the second. You can put Thomas Harper out there. I saw him kind of in that uh, slot corner like I talked about on the last episode. So that versatility on the defense is huge. Watching Trace Ford and Calvin Bundage just – bull rush on third down and third down and long was a ton of fun to watch. And you saw, you know, they were able to create pressure. They didn't get any sacks, but they were able to create pressure and make Zach Smith move out of the pocket. And he already holds on to the ball way too long anyways. And they were able to force a lot of those incompletions and force those kind of coverage sacks or those, you know, throwaways that, you know, got Oklahoma State off the field on those third downs as well. There was a lot to take away, but we talked about how good this defense really could be from spring on, returning 10 of 11 starters, getting an experienced grad transfer in from Missouri and Christian Holmes. And they were, to me, as good as advertised. And I can't wait to see the way they move forward. I think there's a lot. We talked about the defense maybe kind of being the catalyst of the team this year. It's not always going to be the offense like we've seen in the past. But this defense is legit. I I, I think they – they made a huge statement today. They kept Oklahoma State in a game where the offense was anemic for three quarters. And that yeah. says a lot. You, you can't say that about many Oklahoma State games over the last X amount of seasons. No, I think last year, because we talked about this last year, we pointed to the defense was the reason Oklahoma State won some of the games last year. And that's not something we've really been able to say for a while. Um, games here and there, but not stretches. Maybe individual right. games. I can think of the West Virginia game in 2015 being one. But outside of that, you don't think of stretches since 2013. So um, I think they lived out to that. Um, one of the guys I think deserves a huge shout-out, Tanner McAllister. Um, oh, he, I forgot to mention it. Yes, he was fantastic too. Because uh, when they moved um, Jared Bernard Converse to cornerback, he was, he was such a sturdy – reliable guy at safety when they went felt felt comfortable moving him over to corner and letting uh letting Tanner Callister play at safety in such a big role now it, yes he gave up the the big the one big pass uh that set up the eventual touchdown for Tulsa the big 44 yard or 40 yard or whatever uh pass but the the play in the back of the end zone that on third down where he got stretched out like flat as a board to stop that pass in the back of the end zone and set up the eventual missed field goal by Tulsa um, when, when Oklahoma State had just had that, had just got, finally got the offense going, got that lead, got that 10-7 lead back, and the defense had a, a, a tough stretch. They, that play by him was huge. And I almost think that's the, as silly as it is, that was the play of the game because if I, Tulsa was able to reclaim the lead there, yeah, if it's also reclaimed the lead there, the momentum changes. He gets that stop in third down. And, and credit to the to the defense for getting the pressure and and and, and that but that when plays take that long, so often you see somebody able to get open. He made that play and it was impressive. But you know um, another guy who made that play happen was Trace Ford getting Zach Smith out of mm-hmm. the pocket and getting getting the making the play go off schedule. Agreed. Agreed. So look, the defense did its job. Um yeah, look. There was a touchdown that didn't happen because of penalties. You got a missed field goal. Um, 
But you can also credit the defense, you know, the, the turnover, the fumble on the, on the second drive uh, was on, I mean, it's the Oklahoma State 40, and Tulsa got nothing from it, nothing. Um, credit to the defense there. So, I, look, we knew the defense was going to be good. Um, they weren't perfect. No, but, no. again, we're talking about week one with a shortened off season. Um, I, I felt good about what we saw on Saturday about a defense that we, in theory, should continue to see improve as the season goes on. This is a really, really good starting point. This is the, they, the defense played today, if you want to do comparisons, how I thought the offense would play today. Um, but this is the defense, and credit to them. They did the job. Um, so props to the defense. Very excited to see how they continue to play throughout this year. All right, let's, um, let's save quarterback for a minute because, yeah. Do you remember when the, our last episode when we got together and we were talking about things and I had brought up basically to start off my concern about the offensive line and you're like, no, it's going to be okay. Just do the all right. And I was like, well, we'll see. You were right. Um, you're, you, I will absolutely own that one. You were right. Forget, I don't even, it, before Cole Birmingham went out and we still don't know his status moving forward, uh, this offensive line was not good. No. It was bad. Um, it was bad offensive line, and we can talk about Chuba all day. I, I don't, I don't, I don't care. Um, this offensive line play was bad. Okay, when you've got announcers talking about Tulsa's defense as the Legion of Boom, which was the biggest load of like, oh, that that I, stop, I stop, my eyes about rolled out of the back of my head when they said like, that. We, just because every DB is like six foot two does make the Legion Boom just means they're the Legion of Doll. But seriously. The offensive line was not good. Now, look, Charlie, you, you knew that coming into this was going to be trouble. And Charlie Dickey does a good job of moving things around and, and figuring stuff out. Um, but I, I, I want to give some credit to Ian Boyd because he, he was tweeting a lot about it and I was tracking some of the stuff and, and, and paying attention to some of the things he said. And your starting lineup was Tevin Jennings at left tackle, Josh Stills at left guard, Rush Schneider at center, Cole Birmingham at right guard, and Hunter Anthony right tackle. The closing lineup on the offensive line. Jake Springfield, redshirt freshman, former walk-in who got the, the scholarship that they had the Blake Jarwin video with, was your starting left tackle. Josh Stills still at left guard. Rice Schneider still at, left, at, at center. Hunter Woodard was taking the starting right guard spot. And Tevin Jenkins was back to right tackle, okay. uh, where he should be and is, and is better off. Um, Credit to Charlie Dickey um, because I do think once they started shuffling the line around, you, it, a lot of the credit's going to go to Shane Illingworth coming in. And again, we'll talk about him in a minute. But I also think once Charlie Dickey started shuffling the line around and figured out what was going to be most effective in this game, that's when you also saw the offense perform better. Oh, yeah. It happened to coincide a little bit that so the where um, Bullock had the one drive before Illingworth came in where Bullock they, they were able to throw the ball better, right? And he eventually had the interception that he threw. But it seemed like the offense looked a little bit better with him. They had figured out how they wanted to set up the offensive line moving forward. And I think that's pretty much how they had it the rest of the game. And then Illingworth came in and they were able to execute the offense much, 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 much better. Um, 
this is an offensive line. We said it as well on the pod. If you, this is not an offensive line that can really handle injuries. You don't want injuries. This is not a deep offensive line. It's not a deep group. It's not an experienced group. They're going to have to get better, and they're going to have to get better fast. Mm-hmm. West Virginia's defensive line, <laughs> the Stills brothers, are going to be nasty this weekend. It's coming Saturday. Okay, We'll do our West Virginia preview at some point. But – it's an offensive line that's going to have to grow up quick. Um, it's an offensive line that's going to move around a lot and have a lot of moving pieces. I hope Cole Birmingham is able to come back quickly because they need the depth. Um, but this is going to be an issue. Like everyone, I've, I've seen multiple people say it. Like Oklahoma State is an elite offensive line away from being really dang good. If this team had an elite offensive line this year, like a really good one, the offense would have looked better. But they weren't good. So you can we can we can upset at Chuba for not playing well or Tyler for being banged up or Spencer getting hurt. Uh, the offensive line's not good, and I don't care what you have else on the field. If the offensive line can't protect the quarterback and and can't open holes for the running game, you don't you're doomed. So I, look, I, I'm gonna have faith in Charlie Dickey. The guy's been doing this forever. He knows what he's doing. They're gonna have to figure something out. It seemed to figure some things out by the end of the game, but they got a lot of work to do and a lot of growing up to do, and it's going to have to happen fast. Yeah, it's going to happen fast. Yeah, credit to Charlie Dickey to be able to make that shuffle mid-game. It obviously made a difference, and they were able to get just enough points on the board. They knew what the defense was able was doing, so they knew that they just needed a couple scores to get things rolling. They were able to get that. The offensive line play, you, you could tell the difference once they made that reshuffle, but you're right. They're going to have to grow up fast. And if they go in with this group, uh, I, I imagine they're not going to make any changes to what they did at the end of the game because if it wasn't broke, don't fix it. They, it seemed to be working there at the end of the game, and that's probably what they're going to have to roll with for now, especially if Birmingham's out for a little while. We know nothing about his status. I don't think they mentioned anything about a post game, So we're going to have to wait until you know the middle of next week, hopefully to know something, or knowing how tight-lipped Oklahoma State can be about things. Probably won't even know until game time next Saturday. But I will say, even the even when this, this is one of my last days, we'll, we'll go to commercial real quick. But we talked about um, LD Brown when we know when we look at the depth chart last week that um, there was no or next to uh, next to Chuba Hubbard or next to LD Brown's name for uh, the backs and LD looked like he took a huge step forward from the, and we talked about whether that was going to be the case or there was just no capable backup, mm-hmm. whether Desmond Jackson, DeAndre Glass just aren't up to snuff. But I think it's actually the fact that LD has taken that step forward. He is a great balance to what Chuba Hubbard does. Chuba's great in between the tackles, outside the tackles, but, and his, you know, just got that great vision and just that good first step quickness to go and break a couple tackles. But LB is able to get downhill and run behind his pads and run you over. And when he gets into space, he's gone too, just like Chuba. And we saw that earlier today. The touchdown, the long touchdown run he had got called back. But you can see that straight line speed he has between the tackles that is a perfect complement to what Chuba Hubbard does in this offense. And if he's able to continue that the rest of the year, I feel good about where the running game is at. Even when the offensive line wasn't playing well, he was still breaking off a couple chunks here and there. It was it was a big deal, and that's the kind of stuff that you need from this offense, especially if the quarterback situation is as 
uh, up in the air as it is right now. Spencer Sanders, we not, not knowing uh, the timetable for uh, when he could return. And being able to have two backs you can go to and pretty much any down, that's a big deal. Yeah, and, it, and it, I had a thought when we were watching. You know, the problem with Bullock was that he's so immobile and, and he was frankly inaccurate. And when Sanders is there, he's such a rushing threat that it, it does force things to open up for Chuba. The teams are still going to key in on Chuba. Right. When, when L.D. Brown is in, it's more of a mystery. Like if Chuba's in, Chuba's in all the time, but you just you, you have to pay attention to Chuba. It's not that you don't have to pay attention to L.D. Brown, but it's not the same thing. Now, I think he ran very, very well. Um, and L.D. Brown did a really, really good job on Saturday. Taking, also taking advantage of the fact that teams aren't going to key in on him as much as they are when Chuba is in the game. See, that's true. Um, here, so here's the difference, So that is, it's, it's huge. Yeah. You know, like last year, when he was in the game, you knew Spencer Sanders or Drew Brown were going to throw the football. Like, it was almost an obvious, when Chuba left the field, L.D. Brown was in there to pass protect, and that was it. Uh, he really didn't show much until maybe the last couple of games. He broke off like that one big run against Baylor. Is about the only time I can really think of him doing something legitimately productive as RB2. Yeah. This year, you can't key on that if he's going to keep playing the way he does because of yes. his ability to, to run downhill. And like Chuba's a good between the, the tackles runner, but he's not going to necessarily break off a bunch of tackles or be able to drag people with him all the time. He's better in a, more of an outside zone scheme. This is in my very amateur opinion and very amateur analysis that I give. And But you can run more inside zone and power duo plays with a guy like L.D. Brown than you can with Chuba. And his and L.D.'s game is not running that outside zone, being able to stretch the play and then cut up and go, make one cut and go. When you're able to just run up right behind the guard like LD can, it's a great compliment in the running game. And I think they're going, they balance each other out really well. It's not like having two of the same back coming in the game. And I think that's what's going to make the offense a little more unpredictable is that, that ability to, to do that. But, not, but having LD Brown in the game and not it being an automatic pass play on third and six, it, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Um, I do think that's big. Chuba had a completely blue, a block. Uh, yeah. That was rough. Early in the first quarter. And that's still something he's going to have to keep working on. Um, I guess Tylen Wallace is not 100% because – and now look, Tulsa did this to him last year. They were allowed to play very overly physical on Tylen. And Tylen likes having guys play physical. He likes that kind of stuff. Yeah. But they were allowed to literally I, – I guess the strategy of Tulsa – They, they were mugging were just, him on the field. <laughs> And they didn't, and you didn't call it, but that's fine. Well, then, but they, and the quarterback never, I mean, Bullock couldn't, but they didn't force the issue. That was the right. other problem was Bullock was not a good enough quarterback to force the issue of, all right, if they're going to do that, I'm going to throw it that way it, accurately and force the refs to call this stuff until they back off. Really, to me, the strategy for Tulsa DBs was just shove Tylen Wallace out of bounds. You can't catch the ball if he's out of bounds. So we'll just shove him out of bounds and then he's off the field and we're good to go. Um, but, of course, they talked about he had that, that groin injury that they were talking about during the game. So I'm not sure. Like, look, the, pat, the catch he made, <laughs> like, the very first play for Illingworth was, oh, that was ridiculous. That, that's the kind of stuff I miss. And we talked about it uh, just texting back and forth during the week when 
think it was Fox College Sports, but like who's a dark horse to win the Blitnikoff? And there was a Blitnikoff finalist on there. And we said like, man, I, I was texting, I texted you and I was like, man, I hope he goes for like 10, 10 catches, 200 yards and two touchdowns just to shut everyone up. And you're like, or he makes a, like a ridiculous catch or play like he did against Iowa State or Texas. And that clip went viral. And we're like, oh, right. Like he's, very, he's incredibly aggressive at the catch point and can do that to anybody. And that corner he was facing was, yeah, he was just shoving him out of bounds every single play. And Tylen's a physical receiver, so that's tough to do to begin with. But the fact that Tylen's able to, on a couple of those plays, get back in bounds and still make the catch shows how good and talented he is. And for him, not even really – he's probably playing at 90% right now, and he still had four, catches, four or five catches for 94 yards and played, played extremely well and good blocking on the outside too. But, so when he gets to 100%, People need to watch out a little bit, I think. No, I look, we already know how good he is. And yeah, we don't again, need to harp on You've got much. Ethan Bullock as your quarterback. I don't care how good you are, you can't get the ball at anybody. So we'll, we'll talk we'll talk more about the quarterback situation. We've got to take a short break. We'll be right back after this. All right, Philip, we got to address the massive elephant in the room of the quarterback situation. So Spencer Sanders goes out after <laughs> Sorry, my wife looked at me when I said the giant elephant in the room and she put her hands on her hips and mouth, are you talking about me? <laughs> no, Maddie. No, we're you. not talking about you, honey. I love you. Never say that about your pregnant wife. <laughs> no. I, I would be looking for a divorce lawyer in Oklahoma City if I actually did say that. Uh, no, no. <laughs> you, you would be buried in the dirt somewhere. <laughs> You're that's, right. that's the truth of the matter. Um, but so let's have it. Let's let's have let's have a complicated conversation about what went down on Saturday. Okay. And I say complicated because it's really easy to to jump on narratives, yes, and not break situations down one by one. Yes. Okay. Um, lots of situations that are similar can prove something that is a a, a singular problem. There sometimes you know the. The common denominator is often true. However, that doesn't mean you shouldn't break each one down individually and talk about it. So, for instance, in this case, um, we can all agree Ethan Bullock was not good on Saturday. He is immobile, uh, inaccurate, and has no spatial awareness for when he's about to get hit by a defender. And by the time he does realize one is coming, he's too slow to get away from him. He, he made Corndog look like Spencer Sanders. He, uh, he made me want Alex Kate in there. Um, and I'm Ooh. sorry, I'm sure he's a nice Ooh. kid, but I don't want to see Ethan Bullock on the field again unless both uh, Shane Illingworth and Spencer Sanders are in full body casts. And, or Sean Taylor. Ta- give, give me, give me walk on Sean Taylor. That's, that's fine. Yeah. We have a track record of, of half-decent former walk-on quarterbacks, Cornelius included, okay? And I'm sure Ethan Bullock's a nice guy, and he was brought in purely as, a, as an insurance policy to have someone with some experience because they didn't have any experience behind Spencer Sanders. I, I, don't, I don't think any of us thought he would ever actually have to play, but he did. Um, the narrative is fair. Gundy sucks at picking quarterbacks, especially picking backup quarterbacks. Yeah, you're seeing this too. Yeah. through time. Well, not just that. We could point to Wes Lunt yeah. um, over to J.W. Walsh. Uh, yeah. We can talk about – yeah, we can talk about the J.W. Walsh versus Alex Kate in the 2013 season. That with, Kate, with uh, uh, Thank you. Sorry. I got Alex Kate on the brain. 
versus Clint Shelf that went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it took them by the time they figured it out, they'd already lost a game to West Virginia. They shouldn't have. And, you know, but the rest of 2013 was what it was. Uh, there's the obvious stuff. There's not just Brandon Whedon, Alex Kate over Brandon Whedon. It was Brandon Whedon not starting the rest of the season. I'm putting Zach Robinson, who's so beat up. It's no wonder they could like got shut out by Oklahoma and looked terrible against Ole Miss. Zach Robinson was basically weekends at Bur- weekend at Bernie's in the rest the, the last two games of the season. He had no business being on the field. Um, we, we can keep going on and on and on and on and on about this stuff of Gundy has a problem and a reputation and a track record of not doing a good job when it comes to picking quarterbacks. All of that said, we acknowledge all of that. It is absolutely true. It's not just a narrative. There's enough evidence to, to make that statement and feel very confident in court with it. Right. All that said, you have a true freshman. I don't care when he showed up on campus. You didn't have spring football. You had a few practices. You didn't have an off season. Your off season that you have had in, in, in preparation for this season, weird as can be. And you have a kid who missed, I think I've seen between one and two weeks from various different sources because of contract tracing. They didn't want to put him in because they didn't think he would be ready. There was a chance he wasn't supposed to dress today. Correct. Now, you can say, well, obviously he was ready. Okay. But it's different in practice. Like The problem Gundy has is translating whether or not a guy – can take what if practice compared to the field stuff. I get it. But I'm not going to completely go at Gundy about this. A, it worked out. They got the win. B, he did make the right choice eventually. I'm not going to give him a ton of credit for that. I'm not. But I also understand this time, this time, why they made the decision that they made. Because we don't know what Ethan Bullock looks like in practice. Maybe he's a better practice player. It's practice. You know, it's not a game. But they did make the right decision eventually. Shane Illingworth should be the backup the duration of the season. And if Spencer Sanders is anything less than 80% next Saturday against West Virginia, you should just stick Shane Illingworth in. Because at this point, the best thing – for me is not only do I feel good about Spencer Sanders injury aside, I feel good about his backup quarterback. When's the last time you felt good about if the starter goes down and the backup comes in, we're not going to suck. Would it have maybe been that 2013 between whether J.W. Walsh or Clint Shelford playing? That's about the only other time. I, I don't know. J.W. got benched because he was bad. Yeah, and he came in Mississippi State, and he lost the job because he played so poorly. Yeah, and, and I man, like J.W. Walsh. I'm yeah. a J- I like J.W. Walsh. Like, yeah, there, there's but, a reason why he was a, uh, essentially the option quarterback in 2015. That was it. Anyways, correct. I mean, you see, here's the the, and I agree. I I think you go to Ethan Bullock first because you don't know what you're having Shane Ellenworth right away because he missed that time leading up to the game. Like I mentioned a bit earlier, a couple minutes ago, there was a and again no off season. Like yeah, if, with, if with you no had had a guy, too. if he had played all spring, he would have been QB two right summer, out the gate. I think. I think he would. I do too. I, I think they know what they have in him. Yes. I don't think this decision was based on a lack of knowing how talented or good he was. Right. And there's no way as a coach 
and I made this point on Twitter, that it wasn't just that he looked better than Ethan Bullock. Forget the success that they had. You could tell an immediate change in the environment, in the team, in how they looked, how they felt, how they acted, how they seemed when Shane Nillingworth came, came in and Ethan Bullock went out. So the, he has this, already yes. seemingly built a relationship with that team. And that conversation that they were talking about where he went and talked to Tylen before he went in, I think he already has established a good rapport with this team. And I think the team likes him. So this is, and I love analytics and I love numbers and stats and looking mm, into those yeah. things to, to value players. Give me, give me, give me. But there is a lot of sports that you cannot put a number to. There are some things that you just cannot quantify. And what you can't quantify is the juice that Shane Ellingworth brought to this team. It, you can see how different it was when he came in the game, the way the crowd reacted, the way that – and Chuba Hubbard is about as level-headed and even keel of a dude when he's on the field. When he punched in that touchdown – after the two great throws from Illingworth to Wallace to set up and get in the red zone. And Chuba basically just like jumped up and started moving around and doing all this like crazy, like, like they just had this big sigh of relief that they finally punched one into pay dirt. You can see the difference that it made. I don't think Chuba reacts that way. If Ethan Bullock is still in the game. And again, this is not, I'm, we are not, this is not an Ethan Bullock hating podcast. I promise. But no. I'm sure he's a nice kid. I'm sure. But trotting him out there, at, and the said, you know, they threw Ellingworth out there because why not? And it ended up working out. But there was absolutely no reason for Ethan Bullock to come out after halftime. It was watching, I watched three drives and I'm like, I'm good. I don't need to see this anymore. It, it was the definition no. of insanity. It, yeah. Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. There was like, he he was immobile. He wasn't yeah. the the offensive line didn't did him no favors, but the uh, the offense was entirely one dimensional. He was panicking on short to intermediate on quick game throws. He didn't look confident. He looked like a deer in the headlights. And Shane Ellenworth walks out there, and the first ball he throws is a dime to Tyler Wallace, who made an incredible catch. But that was a hell of a ball too for your first throw in college. Yeah. Right away, I thought, okay. This, this kid's got a little juice to him. I like it. And apparently, uh, I don't know when they did it, but apparently they played California Love by Tupac at some point after Illingworth came in the game, and I love that. <laughs> mm. But uh, Big yeah, Cali. Yeah, so Big Cali. I'm 100% in on, on Big Cali as a nickname. I'll in on that. You can't, you can't, you can't. Like, you can use the term Illwater. That's fine, but you can't call him Illwater. So he's got to be Big Cali. Yeah. But I like Illwater. It's fine. It will, and we're going we're gonna to just back – ill water until he's his day comes um but no but i just yeah for sure he's your cube i don't want i don't i don't want to read too much into what he did against it's not like he came in and they they put up 35 points no but i think it's um, again some of those things you can't quantify the way that he was he led on the field right away the just those kind of yes. big chunk energy plays got everyone involved you saw the way the team reacted when they finally had the final kneel down and they won the game and the way they reacted with Ellingworth on the field, I think that says a lot. And again, that's just something that you can't quantify. You can't quite put a number to leadership like that. And for a true freshman to be able to come in and win the room and win the huddle that quickly, 
And that says a lot. I mean, you, Spencer Sanders was incredibly hyped for him in the locker room, tweeting from the locker room with a busted up ankle. I mean, I think that says a lot too about what the leadership qualities that Edwin Worth is showing right away that the starter saw his third string true freshman balling out there a little bit. And he's like, that's, that's what I want to see. I think that's awesome. And yeah, I, while I don't know what the offense is going to look like next week with high, I, I put a pretty high likelihood that Shane Ellenworth is going to start against West Virginia. I don't know what the yeah. offense is necessarily going to look like, but I at least feel a little bit comfortable and a little bit like, okay, I think they can still go out and compete and have a good shot to win a ball game with a true freshman that we really didn't know was going to play at all today. I mean, but I'm glad we were able to see him play because if they did not make that change. The podcast we would be doing right now would be a lot yeah. different. I, if, I, think his, I think if you have to have the offense with Illingworth, it's going to look like the offense that Casey Dunn wants to call. Yes. Um, 2017, uh, one that throws the ball down the field, one that is – aggressively trying to move downfield quickly. Um, I, I think that's what he was brought in to do. I think that's what his skill set is. And I, I think that's what they'll, they'll try. Um, take high school. As long as the offensive yeah. line can keep him up. Yeah. I so, mean, take, you know. take high school tape for whatever it is, because a lot of what we see on like, it's highlights, but you can watch the throws that you, that he makes and he can make any throw on the field inside the numbers, outside the numbers, quick game. Like he's got a he's got a heck of an arm, and I'm curious I'm curious how they decide to do it, and if he can make short to inter even just short to intermediate throws, and you know would take a couple deep shots here and there with Tylen or Tay Martin or something like that or Braden Johnson, and make the defense honor it, it's going to open things up for Chuba, and but my concern is that they can they kind of go vanilla with the offense to. Make him feel comfortable, which I, I can 100% see. You know, see a, a pretty similar script to what we saw early on, with just a couple quick throws and a heavy dose of Chuba Hubbard. But if they do that, it feels a lot like the offense that Drew Brown ran at the end of last season, where deep their defenses are able to kind of load the box, and the running game gets taken away, and you have a quarterback that you don't they don't want to throw the ball too much, more than five ten yards. So we'll, we'll see. I, I don't want to read too much into it, but I just I have an odd feeling that it'll end up kind of like the last three games last season where the offense just it, it revolves too much because of Oklahoma State can be kind of relying on the running game, but when you have a running back with Chuba Hubbard, it's hard not to. I don't know how I don't know how risky they'll be with Shane Illingworth. They're gonna have to be. And look, we can talk about this more this week when we do West Virginia preview. Yeah. But if you're West Virginia and you have the defensive players you have, especially on the line, like you're going to tell them, okay, you've got a true freshman quarterback. Prove he can beat us. We're not going to let you run Chuba on us. We've got the Stills brothers. We're not going to let you run Chuba on us. We're not going to. Because that's what teams were doing at the end of last season. And Drew Brown was okay. Um, uh, Is Illingworth more mobile than Drew Brown? I think might be. He's athletic enough. He he kind of has like that just tall, lanky corn dog type athleticism that he's not going to blow you away, but he can make a play out of the pocket if he needs to. Yeah. Um, And this is all, of course, all assuming. We're going to find out what happens with Spencer Sanders for his health. Gundy basically said it wasn't severe, but that, you know, with ankle stuff, it could be a week. It could be a month. You just never know. And with him, the way he plays, he needs to have a – his ankle needs to be good to go. 
Um, so we'll certainly see how that goes. I'm not super looking forward to this West Virginia game anymore. Um, we'll be bad, but we'll see what happens. Um, what did you think about Casey Dunn? How did you think first game is an OC? It's, it's, it's tough to give a fair grading because of everything else that went on between offensive line struggles, losing one of your starting offensive linemen, losing Spencer Sanders early. Ethan Bullock I, I, basically just go, being a body on the field. I'm going to grade it based off the first 10 or 15 plays that we saw, that first drive. So that'd be what? Because okay. the plays. So the script, the first script, it felt too safe. And for a guy that we thought would come in and want to line everyone up, and I didn't expect them to, you know, go four verts and run crazy, you know, show too much right away, but they threw a screen pass and a button. There was a busted play where Spencer Sanders found Logan Carter down by the sideline. There, there were only like one or two design, uh, design passes. It was a ton of chew up the middle. The line didn't, I mean, the line didn't really help much, but I expected a little bit more. So I'm hoping that in the next couple of weeks, they decide to open things up. And I think they're going to need to. I, I, I think they played it a little bit too safe trying to establish the run and it's just, it just wasn't efficient. And you saw it at the end of the, at the end of that drive, Rye Schneider and Tevin Jenkins were out of the game because they were exhausted because it was a 16 play run heavy drive. They, I think if you take a couple more shots in that short to intermediate, or you throw the ball up because of the way they were playing so aggressive on the corner, you're going to get a, a pretty good chance at a pass interference call move downfield. I would have liked to see more of that. I don't know if that was a by design of just wanting to establish Chuba or they didn't trust Spencer to not turn the ball over down by throwing down the field. Look, I have no idea, but I am curious with this game, how much of this game was about the game and how much of this game was experimenting, playing, just trying to establish some things, trying to try some things. So much new for so with with what's going on with Dunn and no true off season. Like I don't, I don't. I'm not trying to give him a pass. I just I I want to. I don't want to read too much into week one. Yeah, I mean it was I'm not, not gonna... a good offensive performance. And and part of that is with everything that has been touted and everything brought back with Wallace and Chuba and Sanders. It was not a good week one performance no. by the offense whatsoever. Not trying to say that. Not trying to scapegoat it at all. But we've seen some really ugly stuff from teams in week one. Um, Iowa State lost to Louisiana, who almost lost to Georgia State today. Uh, Kansas State lost to Arkansas State, who lost to Memphis the week before. I just – my my optimism, and I can't believe I'm being trying to be optimistic, but, you know, it must be my old age um, – when you have good teams that have bad week ones, you tend to see a pretty good jump into week two. So if you take everything that went on and say quarterback, offensive line struggles, you lost a starter, you lost your starting quarterback, you had to play the backup who was not good, you figured things out, you made stuff work. By the way, your defense is pretty solid. You have to feel like they're going to be able to work on some of this stuff. And I almost think you need to figure out early in the week 
who can go. It, can Spencer Sanders start on Saturday? No. Don't need to tell anybody. Don't need to know till Saturday morning. That's fine. But you need to decide that on Monday. And whoever's going to be the starter needs to be with the ones all week long, getting the necessary reps to prepare for West Virginia. This is not a decision you make and split the shit on and then figure it out on Friday morning. And I think they know that. I think they're going to look at this and they're going to say, I think this is a, you know, we're going to start who we start, and you'll find out Saturday morning because we don't want to tell West Virginia because all that stupid game shit, but whatever. None of it matters. You need to figure out who's going to be the guy on, week, on Monday because if it is Illingworth, he needs the whole week. He needs the whole week prepping with the ones for West Virginia. And uh, I, yeah, and I'll, I'll with say, that ha- yeah. if that happens, I think that, that that makes me feel, based off what I saw or what we saw on Saturday, he's a true freshman. He's going to make mistakes. He's not going to be perfect. But – I think he gives you enough just on what we saw to say, okay, if the defense can play like the defense does and the offense doesn't suck this much, like I think West Virginia is going to be better this year than, than maybe we think. And who the heck knows because this season is so freaking weird already. They should be all right. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I think we're going to see Casey Dunn improve. I'm sure some of it was just first game jitters. You know, he's been a position coach. He's been a college coach for a long time, but – Calling your own plays and calling your own script is an entirely different scenario, I'm sure. So there was just some of that kind of getting working through the kinks and kind of learning, you know, learning on the fly a little bit because he didn't have those spring ball scrimmages to be able to call plays. He barely had a preseason to call some plays. So trying to figure things out in the middle of a game against a different defense than your own, there's a little bit of a there's a steeper learning curve to that. So I'm not like I said, I'm not going to try and knock him too much. I think I thought it was too safe. But I'm not going to knock him too much for it. I think at the end of the day, it's going to, they're going to be fine. And he's going to continue to go, and it's going to be okay. I think he's got the trust of Mike Gundy. They're going to be able to figure things out. Uh, and they're, they're, it's, in the grand scheme of things, it's going to be okay. Like, and I agree with you. I think they need to decide early in the week who's going to start and run with that. And if it is Shane Ellenworth, Monday morning, he needs to be, or Monday afternoon, he needs to be with the ones and give him as many opportunities to get those reps as he can. And, you know, maybe, yeah, like I'd say like, yeah, give him like 80 or 85% of the reps. None of this 50-50 crap. Give, go with your guy, commit to it, and go with your dude. You've got two conference games and you get an idle week. Here's a serious question I would ask. You get West Virginia and then you go to Kansas. Do you think you can beat West Virginia and Kansas with Shane Ellingworth? I think so. Because if you – because – well, I, like this is what I have a question for the coaches because if you can, we'll wrap on this because this is way too much looking ahead. But if you look at yourself and say we can beat West Virginia and we can beat Kansas with Shane Ellingworth, especially if Spencer Sanders isn't at a hundred percent, then start then start Ellingworth. And that's not a shot at, at Sanders. That gives him three full weeks because you have two games and idle week, and then you get to deal with Iowa with Baylor. Let Ellingworth go. Let him play these two weeks. Let Sanders get 100% healthy and then come back after the next three weeks and go to Baylor with Spencer Sanders as back as your starting quarterback. So it's still his job. With the way that Spencer Sanders plays, just the aggressive nature with the, which he plays, he needs to play at 100% and 100% only. I don't want to see 80% of Spencer Sanders out there because he'll take one hit like he did, you know, early on, you know, trying, attempting to slide and just gets drilled. And yeah. then he's out for another couple of weeks. I would rather him get 100% healthy. Even if it means he's 100% healthy against Kansas, 
you can win that game with Shane Illenworth. I'm not concerned about that. I would rather him be ready after the idle week against Baylor and move on from there if he's ready for that. High ankle, high ankle sprains can be anywhere from – he could play on Saturday to a month from now. We don't know, and that's the hard part with injuries like that. But if you so know – I want to wrap on this. Oh, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. Let's see, like, I agree. If, you, if I think that Shane Ellingworth at quarterback for Oklahoma State can beat West Virginia and can beat Kansas – I would I would want to see that rather than in a eighty percent Spencer Sanders this week or next. I would much rather see that. All right, so I I want to make one point. This is the last thing I'm gonna say. Set aside the there's one thing that I forgot I had a huge problem with Spencer Sanders with last year, and it's not as much the turnovers. It's the thing that quarterbacks do who can't seem to throw the ball away and take sacks and lose yardage when they should have just thrown the damn ball away, right? Yeah. It's, the, it's his weird scramble, poor slide, should have thrown the ball away, right? The second drive for Shane Illingworth, if I remember to play correctly, it's inside the red zone. They've run the ball. It's second down. Play falls apart. What does he do? He throws the ball away. And he did it. And all the things about not throwing the ball away, Spencer Sanders came rushing back to me like I just regained my lost memory. And that play made me go, thank you. It's a silly play to be impressed by. But there's something about quarter – it bugs me when quarterbacks don't know how to get rid of the ball and not lose yardage. Because he was behind the line of scrimmage. Had he fallen down or taken a sack or tried to run and not had anything come from it, they'd have lost more yards. Okay. Now they did on the next play because they tried to run and it went backwards and they had settled for the field goal. But he threw the ball away. It sounds really simple. But I don't think it's always easy for quarterbacks to not go, I'm going to put this on my shoulders and I'm going to do this. We're going to, there's no way I'm going to I'm just gonna throw the ball away. We'll live for the next down. I mean, you get it that. It makes me immediately like Shane Ellingworth. Well, I mean, but then you look at – and God, I feel like we're just shitting on Ethan Bullock, but it was kind of, it's kind of easy. He sucked. I'm sorry. I don't yeah, care. I, I really try. I'm trying not to. But no, he's it, bad. He was it, bad. Yeah. bad. Anyway, anyways, uh the play where he should have thrown the ball away, but instead decided to tuck it and take a four-yard loss just <laughs> hurt my brain, and I chugged my – I finished my beer that was, like, half full, and I was like, bro, what oh, – okay. Anyways, uh, do you have any other final thoughts? Anything else for us? Um, oh. This is supposed to go up Sunday morning, so it's, that's the plan. Uh, Sunday morning on Sunday – the Wolf, Matthew Wolf. Let's go. Current the leader at the U.S. Open. Now, look, I was listening to uh, Kyle Porter's golf podcast, whatever he does for CBS Sports. And basically, like, at the U.S. Open, the way that tournament is run, they make Sundays gnarly. Oh, the, the pin locations. Sunday pin places, stupid. Yeah. Um, leaders going into Sunday – I think their average course play is like a 77. That would be seven all over par. Yeah. 
I don't know that Wolf wins it. And part of that is Ricky is so disappointing when he goes into Sunday and then the top of the leaderboard. Yeah. I don't mean to dog on Ricky. I love Ricky, but I mean, history is what history is. Um, I, I'm not sure I'm going to pick Wolf to win it, be as weird as this tournament is and as tough as this course is, but I don't care. What he did on Saturday was incredibly impressive. Yeah. And to see Patrick Reed stumble <laughs> down the stretch and Wolf not, I, I kind of tweeted it and people were like, tell us a story. If you don't understand why OSU fans want to see Patrick Reed burn at the stake, forget the fact that Patrick Reed is an asshole and an asshat and nobody likes Patrick Reed. Nobody on the tour likes nobody. His own okay. family doesn't Did you like see Patrick when he had that hole in one on Thursday and his the, the other two dudes he was playing with were just like Yes. Couldn't have no. happened to a worse person. <laughs> like no one likes Patrick Reed. Okay. So Patrick Reed was at Georgia. He got kicked out of Georgia for being an asshat. He went to Augusta State. Do you know why Oklahoma State doesn't have another national championship? Because trophy? Patrick Reed played at Augusta because Patrick State. Patrick Reed went to Augusta State, and Augusta won back-to-back national championships, including one in Stillwater. Okay? In the finals, Augusta State beats Oklahoma State. So understand this. People don't like Oklahoma State fans, not fans of Patrick Reed. He's been the cowboy killer. Ricky Fowler's best pro, best major performance, best performance at a major, a major he should have won. He did not win. He finished runner-up. Do you know who he finished runner-up to? Patrick Reed. Patrick and Reed. So, at one point, the top, the tip two were Wolf and Reed, and then Reed just stumbled down the stretch. And it just made my heart so happy because F Patrick Reed, don't like him. Don't, don't like it. Don't like him. So, all that aside, congrats to Wolf on a huge and awesome Saturday. Don't know how Sunday will go. If he wins, it would, it would just make this old heart just sing. Uh, and he would, I believe he would be the youngest U.S. Open winner, like, ever. That's, if I remember correctly. That, that would be awesome, yeah. Sunday's going to be a ton of fun to pay attention to. If I heard the stat right, and I forget who it was, but it would be the first, like, 21-year-old to win a U.S. Open, or the first, like, first-timer since, like, 1932. I don't know. I can't throw stats. I can't remember. This is stupid. Point is... We are all the wolf pack on Sunday. Absolutely. And we will all be watching while we watch our fantasy football teams hopefully win. But I don't, I don't know. I would not put money on it. Just my jaded heart. But it would be really cool to watch 21-year-old Matthew Wolf win a U.S. Open in his just second – A, his first U.S. Open appearance and second major appearance would be – Yeah. Oh, that would be that would be really awesome for hashtag golf school. Like we're hashtag I'm, I'm golf all, school. I'm all in on that. My my final thought is a little bit more sentimental, but I want to say, um, Philip and I our our game preview for the Tulsa game that went up on Thursday was a longer podcast for you, so it's actually going to be about the same length as this one. But I digress. It was about an hour and <laughs> ten hour and fifteen minutes of us just rambling like idiots, and we said like most like most episodes. Yeah, fair enough. But said if you get to that hour and ten minute mark, send us a DM. We'll send you some CRFF koozies. And if you get to this point in the podcast as well, feel free to DM me. I have plenty of them. But I had, I did have multiple people reach out and say that they they reached that point of the podcast and talked about you know keep doing what you're doing, don't apologize, and they listen could listen to us. They really appreciate the work we do, and 
uh, you know, how, and they actually like, they like listening to us. And that we, you know, this is a very, very capital or a very lowercase J journalism podcast, but it what did give me a little bit of vindication that people actually give a damn about what I have to say on a microphone. And that felt pretty cool for me. Um, and I really do appreciate everyone that listens to this. I know Philip does as well. Uh, so thank you for, for tuning into this. It really does mean a lot to us. That we get to talk about our favorite team and people actually care. Yeah. I, hey, props to all the listeners. We appreciate you. We know somebody was asking about when, if we were in a court tonight. The answer, of course, was yes. Uh, I can't promise we'll do it every Saturday night. You're about to have a kid, so I might have to find someone to fill in for you for a little while because I remember. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, definitely. You probably will not hear from me next week for the West Virginia preview. I may, I may just send Philip some quotes of things that I want him to say for me, and that might be the only way you hear from me. But I, <laughs> I, I'm going to try and uh, I'm going to try and get on back on it as quick as I can, just because I will go insane if yeah. I, I don't. And Take- my wife. And my wife will uh, lose her mind if I have to talk to her about all of this. Uh, we'll get you. Ba- we'll get you back around the Baylor game, okay? We'll get you okay. back ahead of the Baylor game. You just when's when's the kid? I because it's it's coming. Uh, yeah. One last note: uh, Oklahoma State soccer two and zero so far in the season. Uh, congrats on their season opening win three zero over Kansas State. Not this weekend. Last weekend after. Bedlam got canceled on like Friday, like Thursday night, and then they scheduled a game with Kansas State for Saturday. So props to that. Nice win on Saturday. This coming Saturday, uh, the only other 2-0 team in the conference, West Virginia, is coming to Stillwater, so that's a big one. I'm going to try and get Anna Beffer to come on and talk about Cowgirls for our, our midweek West Virginia slash West Virginia preview pod. Ha-ha, <laughs> it's OSU WVU. Is that joke? That joke doesn't land. All right. No, no. You, you you tried. If I had a you know a little symbol that I could I could crash real quick, a little, a little soundbite, I I would do it, but I, I can't. I don't have that capability. No, cool. My my uh, editing software is not that advanced. Eventually, right, I want to get. Let's to wrap that this point. up because it's we're going to be short of an hour, which would be a, a feat for us. <laughs> Philip, where can everyone follow you on Twitter? Uh, OKTXAR Poke. Follow my show, the 1012 Podcast. We will obviously recap this game and talk about the weekend ahead. Um, you can find that at 1012 anywhere you find podcasts and, of course, on Twitter at 1012 Podcast E and the number 12 the word podcast. Follow me at JT Penfield. Be sure to follow the main site at Cowboys RFF. You will hear from Philip next week with the uh, West Virginia preview. And I will talk to you guys in a couple weeks. Have a good one, everybody.